to the Influencer Marketing Blueprint, where we teach e-commerce brands the three-step formula that drives revenue, not just likes. I'm Cody Woodick. And I'm Taylor Lagasse, and we're here to guide you to influencer marketing success. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? Uh, we are back with another episode of the Influencer Marketing Blueprint. I have a guest here that I'm excited to chat about, all things influencer. And you'll notice that my co-CEO and partner is not here as well. He had apparently other more important things to do. So, Sean, I don't think you ever met him. But speaking of the devil, Sean Frank, thanks for joining us. Introduce up, to your, yourself to the to the listeners. Yeah. Sean, CEO of Ridge.com, active influencer sponsor. Happy to chop up that influencer. <laughs> the next Yeti, but better. That's what you say, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's very succinct. People can really understand that. I think Yeti's the best success story. We're trying to do that, but better. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. All right. Well, um, I said you in the pre-show. There's plenty of other uh, podcast episodes where you could talk about other facets of your business. You know, all the inventory management, your origin story. But for context, give the listeners like who you are and what Ridge is. Yeah, Ridge is a premium accessories company. We used to be the largest wallet company. We're not selling just wallets anymore. Hey. Uh, now we sell with key organizer. That's the best selling one on earth. We, we sell rings now, knives, watches, and we're going to launch more stuff. So premium men's accessory brand. I like to say we're the American Mont Blanc. Mont Blanc owns a category with pens, but they also make a ton of their revenue off the bags, whatever else. We're doing the same thing with wallets. We're a large GC player, did over $100 million, two years running, and bootstrapped, never raised any money. So there just you five go. of us on the cap table hanging out. I love it. Give the listeners context for like size of your business and growth trajectory. So you mentioned like previously, I think talking to you, you joined Ridge when it was like a father-son combo or something like that, right? Yeah, father-son, um, best friend, found the company. There okay. was three of them. They were doing a couple million dollars a year. They needed an agency. I was young, like 21 years old. Me and my CMO, Connor, started an agency business. Ridge was our first client. Uh, okay. We went on to get about eight or nine other clients, but Ridge paid most of the money to us, about 50% of our revenue for the agency was coming from Ridge. And I just <laughs> kept charging them more and more, and it just made sense there to merge. There you go. So that was like, I don't know, five years ago or more, we merged. Run the thing as a CEO. Connor came on a CMO and we grew every single year since then. Like, okay, awesome. I think this is interesting. You've spoken a lot about agency brand dynamics um, and I've seen you tweet about like, hey, if you're recommending people in college or something like that, hey, go start an agency first. Can you speak a little bit about that? I just think that's an interesting topic because now you're running a, a very large brand hundred million dollar plus revenue brand. And you talk a lot about you should start an agency first. And that's goes back to your story, but maybe you can go into like taking yourself out of it. What speaking to the agency brand dichotomy. Right. So there's a very funny joke I heard once and it was about like Taylor Swift's like, just follow your dreams. Like it worked for me. Right. And that's like, that's like a lot of winner being like, just buy a lot of tickets to me. It works yeah. every time. So it's very hard to separate personal experience from, you know, yeah. advice. Right. But what I will say is, and this is my best take. I think it sums it up the most. Learning marketing is just like learning day trading. Like 
There's not a lot of great day traders. There's not a lot of great marketers. You have to spend a lot of money to learn how to do that, right? And like, it's a skill and you have to learn like the platform and like the way mm -hmm. things react and timing, all these different types of things. And it's just way better to do that with somebody else's money. And that's what an agency is, right? If you're 18 years old, do not go start an agency. Don't just be one of these assholes on Twitter who's just like, <laughs> I do copywriting. It's like, no, no. Go join a well-respected agency. Just go in there and be like, I'll fucking do whatever. Just go in there mm -hmm. and be like, I have no skills, but I will work really hard and I know the internet. And learn media buying or creative or maybe learn copywriting or email or something. And then from there, spend a year, two years, and then get the skills to go actually be a freelancer or, or, or start yeah. an agency. And the most respected people in the space have done that, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. lover or hate him, Nick Shackelford, he was a media buyer at Common Thread Collective. He put in his work and then he goes out there and starts his own thing. Social Savannah, exact same thing, right? It's like people who will put in the effort to actually learn the skill to actually go out there and sell it. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and you've gone the route of starting a brand off the back of that. Well, I guess you kind of jumped into it, but it's funny because as I listened to you talk, my own personal story was starting at a brand at a startup at Kalo and being able to do a lot of different things. And I learned a lot of the chops of marketing. So it's just interesting like how you're kind of speaking to the opposite route of learn an agency, learn with other people's money, but it's also... I would add into that too, just learning at any startup where you can get on the ground and be able to learn different chops before starting your own thing, I think is a huge, huge benefit. I think agencies are a better place to learn. Obviously, you learn great, right? You can reach good Thanks, outcomes Sean. either way, but I think you learn better outcomes at an agency because you're forced to touch more brands and you're forced to do more shit with less, yep. right? The worst thing about joining a brand is they're like, this is the way it's done. And they only, they only <laughs> present one philosophy to you. And what if it's wrong? <laughs> you know what I mean? Most yeah, brands are out of business. Most, most brands don't reach scale, right? But if you're an agency, you'll see it. Oh, how does Quelo do it? Or how does this people do yeah. it? And you can formulate your own opinion on, on it because you just see more data entry, right? Just don't go out there and start a brand. I think a lot of people try that. It's so fucking hard. Why do most physical products on Kickstarter fail? And it's because it's really hard to make a physical product. People think it's so fucking easy. It's like, I'm going to make a widget. It's like, bro, you got to learn all these different types of things and you haven't even got to marketing yet, right? So just- Yeah. Do you guys work with agencies at Ridge? Most things across the board are internal, but there are select agency partners we bring in. And I think we're seeing- the future of the agency business looks a lot like the agency business 20 years ago, right? Where paid media was an agency explosion. Everyone jumped in there doing Facebook ads, mm -hmm. Google ads, whatever. But the platform has an incentive to make it so simple anyone can spend on it. And I think agencies will go away in that paid media space. And agencies are thriving in the creative space like they did 20 years ago when you're doing TV ads mm -hmm. because it's creative – it can be a, a freelance engagement or a one-off engagement or like, you know, uh, a more right. rolling engagement. And it's good to have a bunch of different creative output, right? Because it is like a subjective thing. So we use Raindrop for videos. We've used Narrative for videos. We have a ton of different just random freelancer agency people to shoot content creative for us. When it comes to like performance paid work or email, those are things we mm -hmm. do in-house. Our influencer programs done in-house. We use an agency dev shop to complement our own internal dev stuff. So I'm not anti-agency. It's just we're very selective in what they're delivering it and if it's something we should own in-house or not. 
Right. So let's get into one of those things, which is, I mean, in the title of the show is influencer marketing blueprint. So let's get into the influencer stuff. So, I mean, let's just use even numbers, hundred million dollar brand approximately. What's your marketing budget on that side? Is it 20, 25%, 15? More. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a realistic outlook is you should spend at least 33% of your money on marketing. So a 3X MER if you're in a growth phase. If you're in a difficult environment and you're trying to grow more or force growth or whatever, that number flexes up. A brand mm-hmm. should be able to survive at a 50% of revenue going to marketing and like things not break. So you have to have the unit economics for that. Uh, and maybe if you're taking your foot off the gas and you're cool with things coasting or revenue going down, maybe you go to a 4X MER. But the mm-hmm. biggest mistake I see, people always want to be like, oh, how do I get to $100 million in revenue, right? Which is more than that now. But people always ask, how do I get to $100 million in revenue? I'm like, yeah. oh, you got to spend more. I'm like, you got to spend more money. And like, <laughs> they don't want to do that. <laughs> it's very hard for people to understand that like your EBITDA percentage will go down, but your EBITDA dollars will go up. Like, those things are not mm-hmm. the same where it's like, there's a point on the curve where you maximize EBITDA dollars, right? And you just have to find that point on the curve and you have to build your business around that. Or you have to do really difficult things to your business, like lowering cogs, lowering overhead, doing shit so you can actually be flexible to scale. And nobody ever wants to like change their business. They're like, nah, what I'm doing is good. But then they still want different outcomes. So that's just for the brand owners. I try to keep everybody honest and yeah, it's your fault. It's like if you want to get $200 million, spend more. That's the way it works. Yeah, yeah. So if you're at 100 million and you're spending 33%, you're spending 33 million. Let's just use Ridge as a hypothetical example. That's 33 million on marketing. What percentage of that are you guys spending on influencer? Yeah. So we've gone as high as 20% in the past and we've gone as low as 10%, but it's the sweet 20% of, there. of your marketing budget. Yeah. Yeah. So like if it's $30 million, it's $6 million on marketing. Right. So I'm just using, these are all hypothetical numbers because we're just crushing way more than this. But uh, if it's the $30 million marketing budget, it would be between three and 6 million, somewhere between 10 and 20%. I think it's perfect. I know a lot of brands who spend more or like their entire marketing budget on influencer. And I think uh, that's a difficult way to scale. That's like signing up for fucking a boxing match every day. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So two to six million in that range, let's just use $3 million on influencer. How are you guys spending that money on influencer? The vast majority of it will go to YouTube. Are you asking for channel or like actually physically, how are we getting the money to influencers? Yeah, open-ended, however you wanted to, to answer that. Yeah, so I guess we'll first talk about like how we actually spend the money, right? How does the money leave our bank account? So yeah. yeah. We source a bunch of influencers. So, you know, we've we've used tools, we've never used Grin, but we use something called Creator IQ and that kind of sucked. Mm-hmm. We're getting into some AI tools to help us find influencers. We'll work with management companies or we'll have like a team of uh, virtual assistants in Pakistan or the Philippines or whatever, just gather data. Just be like, right. get us every influencer you possibly can find, right? And there's some qualified data in there. You want to know like what their channel is, what their subscribers are, what their last views are, whatever. And we put all of that into a master spreadsheet, right? And you know, we'll, let's say we have, we'll have 10,000 people in there. We'll get their email too. That's the big thing is like getting somewhere to contact these people. We don't want to do shit in DMs. Like we just want to like have a streamlined yep. process. So we'll have, you know, 10,000 emails and then we'll shoot an email over and be like, hey, we, we, we're Ridge. Here's who we've worked with. We want to work with you. 
What does that look like? Let's just start those conversations. And you have a really low hit rate because you're cold emailing people, right? You know, out of those 10,000, maybe you get 100 responses, maybe you get 500, who knows, right? And then we just negotiate. That's why we, we have an in-house team of... Yeah, this, I think this is important to kind of go the insights of your team dynamics. Two to six million on, on influencer, you got to resource that, right? So what is that team dynamics? Right. So the reason why I don't think brands should spend more of their marketing budget on influencer is because of how expensive influencer is to run, right? Like I could spend $6 million on Facebook tomorrow, maybe not in one day, but next month I could spend $6 million on Facebook with one person. I could just be like, spend $6 million. I click the button and start spending, right? To spend $6 million on influencer, it takes a year and it takes a director who makes a lot of money, <laughs> uh, five or six full-time U.S. employees who also make a lot of money. I mean, $100,000 a year each, benefits, time off, the whole fucking thing, a team yep. of virtual assistants. And so, you know, you're in, let's just call it a million dollars in fixed costs to spend $3 million, you know, and to spend mm-hmm. $4 million. It's, it's incredibly fucking expensive, right? The other thing people don't understand is like, Half the deals lose money. Like influencers is the hardest fucking thing to do. Uh, you're individually negotiating, using judgment calls, you're learning. Like it's this whole fucking thing. Like because influencers want as much money as possible for as long as possible, right? And we mm-hmm. want to pay them basically as little as possible for as long as possible. And there's some sort of, of balance there that we reach, right? Like hopefully their video gets put in the algorithm. Hopefully, you know, their audience really likes the product. There's all these things that have to go down, right? So anyway, yeah, I feel like you're super fucking expensive. It's hard to run. Yeah, it's it's funny. I saw a tweet you put out and when researching for this podcast, and it was like, influencer isn't Facebook. Ridge has a full-time staff of five running influencer for us, plus 15 contractors. You might get negative PR. Half of the deals lose money, which is what you just said. It is my favorite channel, but it isn't for the faint of heart. (laughs) So why is it your favorite channel? I think it's the only form of marketing that can build brand affinity. Like no one wants to see your Facebook ads. No one wants to fucking see your TikTok ads where you trick people into watching them because it's whitelisted. It's a nuisance, right? Like advertising in the way it's done is a nuisance. But when you're sponsoring a small creator, you're their first sponsor. Their audience is stoked that they're actually getting a fucking deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's the only form of digital advertising that can build some sort of goodwill with an audience. And yet, like the reason we do influencer, like we've been doing it since 2016, it's because I watch a lot of YouTube. Like I don't watch yeah. TV, right? It's I got fucking five different YouTube tabs open. I'm going back and forth all day. You know what I mean? It's just a, a native form of content for me. And I like sponsoring and supporting those creators. So that's why I like it. But dude, I stand by everything I fucking said in there. Like so many people are like, they think it's going to replace Facebook. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. like my paid social staff is smaller than my influencer staff. Out of that $30 million budget, Facebook will get like half of it. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Right. It'll spend 10 times what the influencer team spends. Um, yeah. Five times what the influencer team spends. So a lot of times, like I've heard all talking to people, because obviously I'm living and breathing the space and talking to brand owners all day long. And they might even mention you. You know, XYZ brand is doing pay for posts. It's working for them. And my response to that always is that you have no idea the backend processes that go into the scale of what you just described, you know, of the amount of deals that you guys are negotiating in the backend systems of everything that you went into to achieve that. So I think it's important for people to hear exactly what you are describing, where it's like, I want to be the $100 million brand. Well, it's not paying one influencer at Kardashian 
um, to explode your brand overnight. And that's just not happening today. Like the fact that you're spending so much, the 10,000 emails just to acquire those emails, then the negotiators that are getting hundred K salary each, and then all the follow-up and all these different things, you guys aren't even putting a deal on the table on that first initial message. What does that look like? Like there's a lot of back and forth. The other thing is, is like, yeah, like, like brands approach me. Oh, how do I do that? I want to do what you're doing. And it's like, dude, you don't have any clout. I'm not going to pick on anybody, right? But like name any brand. It's like, we could be friends with or whatever. And it's like, oh, dude, if influencers don't know you, you're not going to get a deal done. It's like the reason why Rich can get so many deals done is because there's an inherent trust working with us, right? We're not going to fuck them over. Yep. They're not going to get canceled for working with us. Like we're going to pay them. Like we have like all of this clout and relate like – you know, reputation built up that like when I email an emerging creator, they're like, oh yeah, my favorite creator has worked with you guys for two years. So it's like, oh, okay, I know I'm safe to work with you guys and I can respond to these emails. I get called emails and LinkedIn messages from creators all the time who are like, hey, can Ridge sponsor me? Right. And it's like, yeah, they're not going out to some dropshipping brand to do that because their inbox is flooded with people like, hello, sir, can I please sponsor you? It just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. So let's get into the differences in our methodologies. And so context for everybody listening to is like Sean and I have had several conversations on influence marketing differences, maybe in execution of it. So we've had a lot of healthy back and forth on the differences on our methodology. So for people that have listened to this, know that I'm a big proponent and we're a big proponent of seeding, product seeding, no requests, just get the product into their hands, let the cream rise to the top. Sean is doing a bunch of pay for posts. Pick seating apart. Yeah, I'll just see you up in that way. You said yourself, getting a post from the Kardashians won't change your brand meaningfully overnight. Super fucking true. It it, it just uh, like the inundation of social content. And like if you go on Instagram, like there's ads and then there's like all of these sponsored posts and everything. And and it feels like that makes up 70% of the viewing experience on Instagram. It's like oversaturated to the point that it's sickening is what it feels like, right? So just throwing Mm -hmm. more noise into that just doesn't seem to do anything, right? The other thing, we have an expensive overhead cost. So just spending that time and energy just to do pay for posts with no guarantee of anything would just be futile for us, right? Um, you mean just and, just doing seeding, like without a guarantee of a post? Oh, return. yeah, sorry. Without a guarantee of a post, I don't know, if we're just seeding stuff or whatever. I'm going to spend $300,000 a year in salaries to whatever just to have people hopefully get stuff posted up, right? And just send in all this free product. I think it's something we're going to experiment with, but I think demographic and platform specific, right? When you're doing pay for posts, I'm going to guess Instagram gets 80% of the attention, TikTok gets the other 20% of the attention, and it's really hard to get anything on YouTube, right? You, so, you mentioned seeding, right? Yeah. You keep saying pay for posts, but. Oh, sorry, man. You're saying guessing 80% Instagram, 20% TikTok, there's nothing on YouTube. Like when you're sending out free product and expecting, yeah. you know, 30% post rates from those platforms. That's why. Yeah, so and you're and you're right. We don't do anything on YouTube because of that reason. And I've we could we could talk about that specifically. So Instagram yeah, and TikTok so, are easier to post. Exactly. So like yeah, to to, to summarize, I'm gonna stop saying seating, I'm gonna stop saying pay for post. I'm gonna say whatever you guys <laughs> do, whatever Cody and his team are doing, it's super focused on platforms that we we essentially ignore, right? Our method on Instagram, we've done our method on TikTok, but the real 
driver of us is YouTube, right? Uh, yeah. It's 30 second integrated posts, part of the content with a link and it's all trackable, right? That you can spend ad dollars behind. We can basically build a formula and like, okay, what's the audience? Like what's type of content? Yeah, we think we know what will get us a return there, right? And we could do negotiations from a place of just knowledge, being able to be like, hey, look, here's other people we sponsored. Here's how much we paid them. Here's what the sales look like. We just have like a, a big database now doing that. And when we've gone to TikTok and tried to do the same thing, it's just more challenging, right? Because views mm-hmm. are so all over the place. Click attribution sucks. And I think Instagram is the lowest tier place to get uh, posts, the lowest tier place to get uh, Instagram stories. So it's just we, we value it so much less. And the other thing is everyone thinks influencer and Instagram go hand in hand. So like we'll get mm-hmm. Instagram story rates that are just insane. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the $50 CPMs or whatever, which I'm like, oh, I mean, PewDiePie is cheaper. You know what I mean? I can get, I can get a yeah. video on PewDiePie's channel, seen by millions of people where he's talking about how much he loves the product and it's cheaper than, than working with a mid-tier female Instagram celebrity. The other thing we just benefit from is, is uh, I think Instagram's true 50-50 gender breakdowns. Our products, like majority of our customers are men. YouTube's just a more mm-hmm. male-focused platform. And because of the type of content, it kind of auto-selects into male-focused. Like we know if we work with a car channel like Donut Media – it's 90% male watch rates, right? Where like, it's very hard to get that on on any sort of Instagram account, um, that dramatic of a split. So yeah. to summarize my argument about why we don't do your method more, I think part of it's just platform. And then part of it is yeah. just like our resources are better spent on a more ROI focused channel. I think I've told you this before too, is like, if I have the resources of what you guys have put in place, then I'm doing more pay for posts, not as much, but if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it on YouTube. And I've talked about that. I've sent out tweets on that before and talked about that at length of just YouTube is not a channel where people just throw up a story and maybe it changes differently with shorts, but still it's, they view their platform as a TV network. They're not just going to throw up a post. Hey, thanks for sending this over Ridge on a 15 second video on their TV network, right? Like it just doesn't work like that. And for brands to expect that through seeding is just like you're saying, the platform differences there. But I think what a lot of the differences that we've discussed is just the resources that you guys have and you've earned the right to get to that point based on revenue trajectory. Whereas a lot of brands start out, they're less than $1 million brand. They're doing all these pay for posts. I'm like, what are you doing? You're, you're wasting oh. so much money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing. It's like, yeah, half of half the deals lose money. Even if you do our method, even if you have the clout and the relationships and you spend all this fucking money and you can navigate YouTube as a platform, half of our deals lose money. It's like you're not just going to jump into it and make fucking money. And I very rarely see pay for post work on Instagram. It is so hard to make that work as a platform. We're like, yeah, like if you want to be on Instagram – you're probably just better off fucking seeding a bunch of stuff and just seeing if you get any posts because it's so hard to make that work. Yeah, which is exactly why a lot of our strategy is trying to get ad creative at scale to repurposes off those platforms, right? Like, so getting the content posted one, but then repurpose so that you're not just losing um, on that ad creative. Yeah, yeah. Original UGC, user generated content, getting more users to generate content for you. It's unfair to call what we both do influencer, right? It's like, yeah, I guess technically, right? But it's like calling 
like paid media, Google search versus Facebook. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're both paid media. They're entirely different methodologies, right? And I think that's right. something people don't understand. And I don't think influencer gets the respect there that it's like, no, no, what you're doing is a totally valid and, and real strategy. It's different than what I do, right? And I think so, mm-hmm. so often people are like, conflate the things or, the, or they think one person can do There's all some- of it. And it's like, they'll make one influencer hire on their team. They're like, yeah, they make $65,000 a year. Like, can you teach them how to do your thing? And I'm like, nah, you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not a one person job. And then you're saying they hire one person. Most brands are doing it fractionally. Right. They give it to their social person. They give it to their email person. It's like, hey, can you do, run our social, organic social and reach out to a few influencers a week? It's like, okay, you're not doing influencer at that scale. Right. Like uh, the last analogy, I'm a huge analogy guy. The iPhone was designed by a team. Cars are designed by a team. Both of them are designed. Both of them are engineering. They're totally fucking different. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like, I think there's that much refractional divide inside of when we talk about influencer our paid YouTube strategy, our paid social strategy versus your gifting strategy, it's that fucking different. And brands are just super naive, right? Like like they have they have a rosy idea of what influencer was in 2012. They're like, okay, how do we get, you know, a Kardashian to post? And it's like, well, it's $135,000 or <laughs> like, yeah. do you know them? <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. So when you say half the deals lose money, am I correct in saying that you still view those deals as a win and a worthy investment because of the brand equity and um, affinity that you're building? Is that fair? Or is that kind of just like, shit, we lost 50% of our investment? How do you look at that? Like, I mean, you put that out. It's like half the deals lose money. How do you sit with that? The idea is that the half that make money will make enough money to offset the half that lose money. It's not like, okay, I have two posts. They both cost $100. One gets $1.1 back, one gets zero. Now, it doesn't really work like that, right? Like one might get 1.1, the other one might get 0.9. It's still mm-hmm. losing money, but it blends out to be you know even or whatever. And the other thing is like our internal goal, like our mission statement for our partnership program is to be everyone's first sponsor. So like we want everyone to have a good experience where they work with us, where we explain how sponsorships should work, teach them how to get paid, like get them on a payment yeah. system, like like walk them through that whole thing, right? So we want to be everybody's first sponsor. And that's just doing good for the community, I think, like to have people have positive first experiences so you don't get fucking scammed. So yeah, I'll say like we don't pay the most. I mean, I know a lot of other brands that pay way more for the same influence than we do, but like our whole thing is like, look, we want to be your first sponsor. And if your audience likes our shit and we can work with you for three years, we'll make up for it in the long run, right? How many creators ballpark have you worked with? Let's say in the like oh, last year. 10, how many thousand? 10,000. And how many of those are like started as a one-off post and turned into something long-term, like three months or more? They're working with you consistently over time. So we've had, yeah, at least 10,000 creators we've worked with in the past, you know, five years or whatever, right? Last year alone, we probably worked with 3,000 creators or something. And every single one of them starts with a one, three or five video deal, right? So like a video or post, like, you know, we work with TikTok or whatever. We'll be like, hey, can we buy three? Can we buy five or whatever? And probably 20 to 30% of those, we re-sign for another three, five or 10 video deal, right? And we have a very small group of creators we've worked with for three plus years. It's probably 10 people, maybe it's more, maybe it's 20 people that we've really sponsored a video. Yeah, a video every single month for 
three years or whatever, right? Like Linus Tech Tips. We work with Linus Tech Tips. Every month there's going to be at least two videos and that's five years we've been doing that or whatever, right? So anyway, there's a small group of people, Anthony Fantano, I've sponsored for five years. <laughs> you know what I mean? He gets a monthly retainer from us every single month. And like the top tier creators love that because like they have guaranteed income. You know what I mean? Like he knows he could hire somebody now because we're just going to yeah. pay him $9,000 every month. So when you guys are, you started expanding outside of wallets, did you guys do anything with that, you know, community, I guess you would say like your ambassador roster? Like, did you send it out to all the new all your creators that are kind of on your roster at that time? Or do you guys do anything unique now that you've expanded into different product categories or different product launches with that community of people? Yeah, we're getting better at it. That's that's the big focus this year. The whole goal of signing a five video deal is like the first video is about the wallets. The second video is about the kits. The third video is about the rings. The fourth video is about wallets again. The fifth video is about some other new product we have coming on. It keeps the talking points fresh. So it's not just like, yeah, Ridge Wallet, talking about wallets again. All right, right? It's yeah. like, oh, there's something actually new and exciting. And then engaging what we call VIP partners. So there's probably 500 partners that like we plan on sponsoring you know, four times this year, right? Like we sponsored them four times last year. We sponsored them four times this year. They might be more expensive or, you know, they perform or we call them, or I don't know, they're, they're part of our VIP program. Yeah. And those people, every time we have a new product launch to like, you know, we'll seed those people and be like, hey, next video, talk about this new thing we have coming out. So we're working cool. towards that, but like we're, we have to build that internally. Yeah. So when, I don't know if brands ever talk to you or mention the word community, what do you think they mean by that? What do you think that entails? Dude, I don't think anybody knows what they mean by that. <laughs> like, like I have a friend's brand. He has a really awesome Facebook group where like he gets product yeah. feedback and like testing and like he'll give out samples there or whatever. That's the closest mm-hmm. thing I think I've seen to a community. I bought everydaycarry.com. That has a community attached to a big Facebook group, uh, Discord. And like that's people who have a passion coming together and talk about this type of stuff. 99% of brands shouldn't try to do this. Like, I just don't think they're going to get any sort of ROI out of it. I don't think they know how to run a community correctly. I mean, I think we both spoke at an ECF event. Uh, yeah. That is a niche specific community based around an industry and it's hard as fuck to run. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think Andrew yeah. does an amazing job over there. Yeah. Uh, but he has like two or three full-time staff. Like, you know, they have to throw events and all this stuff. That's a community. Is your hair dryer company gonna have a fucking community in the same way? Like, are you gonna put the the, the effort into it? Like, are you gonna throw yeah. events, this type of stuff? It's so hard to actually do community. I think just most brands have no idea what they're talking about when they say that. It's a buzzword that sounds good, and really what they mean is like we want passionate returning customers. And it's like, yeah. cool. I totally understand that. That's your goal. Everybody's goal. I don't know if a Facebook group's gonna get that for you. And I think a lot of times too, a lot of people are thinking influencer can't be that. They want consistent influencers to work with over time. But the means by which they go about doing that is oftentimes very opposite of building a community where they actually care about people <laughs> and care about the people <laughs> that they're engaging with, right? Yeah. It's really hard to have a community with people you pay. You know what I mean? It's like it's like being friends with your employees. Like it's it's difficult. Mm-hmm. And like yeah, influencer isn't a sub for a community. Do the other thing, and this is just something I've realized, like being around like the more people you meet, like the more people with clout you meet or whatever, like you could really love someone's work and like love the content they put out and actually hate them as a person. Like not like them and not get along <laughs> with them as a person. And 
somebody who you despise their work could actually be your best friend. It's like the the creative output somebody puts out and who they are as a person, they're not the same thing. They're totally separate. You know what I mean? People might want to work with a creator that they idolize and like love their content and love what they're putting out. And then like want to build a friendship and like maybe like, you know, get them on their team and like all this type of stuff. And then realize they're just, they're not a personality match. Like, oh, like we don't actually like each other. Like, like yeah. that's where I think people fuck up the most when trying to work with creators. Yeah. Well, I, I'm even reflecting back on my days at Kalo where I had a roster of probably 50 people that we would send new products out to every single month. They're kind of part of our seating roster. There's only a handful that I actually like texted with and like they were huge, huge fans of the product and brand. But the reality is even that, I mean, I think we did a great job of creating community, but that was just me just trying to invest in deeper ways, you know, trying to think about their birthdays or anniversaries or all these different things. And our product was a marriage and family brand. So it was a little bit easier in that side of things. But yeah, community gets thrown around. I want to bring this up as well, because we're in this world, a lot of times in like direct response world, you know, I talk to brand owners and they want $2 back for every $1 that they spend. With influencer, though, I think that's very, very difficult. But what would you say to that when it comes to like, I mean, you've already mentioned some of these things, but to people that are wanting to get started an influencer and they're very concerned about ROI, what would be your response to that? Yeah, it's just not the channel for you. It's not as metric and science focused. Like, I mean, I'm just trying to be fucking honest with these people. They're like, well, what's the ROAS of, of your influencer campaigns? I'm like, man, like it's way more holistic. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. every month like 400,000 people search Ridge Wallet, right? Like they type it in and they search it. And our customer surveys, where do people hear about us the most for the first time? It's influencers, right? So it's like, it has huge lasting effects. And that's just like a, an aggregate because videos live forever and people are watching right. them or posting them or sharing them or right. whatever. So you guys got to commit because you like to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and like, look, me and my CMO have fights about this where I'm like, yeah, it's not like, he's like, you know, we should really spend less on influencer because this other channel's doing better. I'm like, nah, I like influencer. We're going to spend money there. And that's just like a gut feeling. If I can tie it to the community thing for a second, it's very hard to be ROI focused and community focused. Are mm-hmm. you going to kick a member out of your community because their career starts going down or that their videos start taking or their audience doesn't like your shit? The few creators you texted with, are you going to break up with them if their posts stop doing well? Like, Think about yeah. what it means to be community. Think about what it means to be you know, creator face. Well, it's also not taking into consideration like the long tail effect and the organic flywheel of word of mouth that happens. Like that is not trackable. Whoever invents that tool is going to be a billionaire, kajillionaire. But to be able to track word of mouth, that's what people are trying to speak to. But it's like the hundreds of thousands of creators that are out there and the tens of thousands that you've worked with over the past five years, like the amount of people that have actually seen that video, maybe didn't buy directly using that discount code, but went on Amazon search you or Googled you and then ended up buying, like you don't get credit for that or that influencer doesn't get credit for that, but that's still happening. Like, and the fact that that's not being acknowledged that that's happening is just naive. So that's also the power of it. And if I could take what you just said and magnify it. So word of mouth, yes, it's true for the audience, right? Like people watching, consuming content. It's also true inside of the creator community. Dude, Diplo posts our wallet probably every single month and just like talks about how he likes it. Never sponsored Diplo. We sponsored Diplo's friends and then Diplo got a wallet somehow and talks about how much he loves it, right? So it's like this word of mouth flywheel. It's not just 
audience facing, not just sales facing. It's also community facing. That's when I say cloud and reputation. Like totally. Joe Rogan talks about us. Never fucking sponsored Joe Rogan. I sponsored everyone around Joe Rogan, and somehow yeah. he got a wallet and he loves it. Right. So that's funny you mentioned him because that actually happened with one of our brands. He ended up buying the thing that because he was following an influencer that we see the product to. <laughs> yeah. And it's very hard to tie all those connections together. Like, like you said, like it's, you know, it starts yeah. the ether of how people react. But the other thing is everybody's human. Everybody shops, everyone likes shit. People talk about things that they love. So one of my last few questions here is, have you considered wor- working with like macro talent or celebrity type talent? It would be like a big, big face. I call them flag bearers. Like they would stick the flag in the ground and say, Hey, I represent Ridge. Think like body armor with their athletes or hex cloud with Gordon Ramsay, like that type of thing. Like, have you guys considered that? Because I would say I wouldn't even entertain a huge, huge name unless you've earned that right, which I would say you guys have. So, right. Have you guys thought about that? So, maybe we'll do some of that this year. There's less of a natural fit, right? Like, Gordon mm-hmm. Ramsay and Hexclad, I mean, there's nothing yeah. more of a bullseye. You know what I mean? Right. Like who, totally. Who's the accessory guy we should go after, right? Like, it's, it's very hard for us to figure that out. You know, I would say we sponsored PewDiePie a couple different times. Like, he's A-list to a lot of fucking kids. You know what I mean? Or a lot of 20-year-olds, mm-hmm. he's A-list, right? And then also, it's like, what do those relationships look like? There's a lot of different ways to structure them. Like, so if I could just kind of break that apart. We've gotten ad rates to sponsor the guy who's the winter soldier in those Marvel movies. And it's cheaper than it is to sponsor PewDiePie, right? And like, but do we want him to come out and do a shoot? Are we going to shoot like a fucking two minute video that we're going to run commercials for it? Like Larry David and FTX? Like, will we ever do that? If there's a perfect fit, maybe. The other thing I'll say is it's a lot cheaper than you think it is. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, there's not that many brands willing to spend $500,000. So like when you say $500,000, you could basically get any A-list for a four hour shoot that you want. You know what I mean? Robert Downey yeah. Jr. only only got, you know, a million dollars or two million dollars for the first Iron Man movie. You know what I mean? Now, he says made fucking fifty-five million dollars to the other ones, but like you can negotiate these things. It's very hard to say no to five hundred thousand dollars. So Well, I was just gonna say, like we sponsored or we worked with Dale Earnhardt Jr. for a whole year for two hundred thousand at Kalo. Um yeah. so kind of like an Americana type guy. And we had a photo shoot, we had several social posts, he had his own product line, like that type of thing. So he was already a fan of the brand, which reduced the price probably by half, as opposed to like you're just going to Gordon Ramsay cold and they've never heard of you. That's gonna be a significantly higher mark. Yeah. Yeah. Also like, you know, I think there's more and more appetite for equity deals, right? Like doing some sort of, you know, structure, especially like if they're going to be a big driver for it. I've seen a lot of people get fucked doing those deals, like just, you know, wrong fit, whatever. (laughs) If the right person came along and it made a lot of sense, we've had a lot of this conversation internally. Everyone's trying to get the rock. We don't think the rock's a good fit. Maybe it's oversaturated, whatever. You guys are entertaining that. Yeah. We're probably at the stage of our brand where like, it makes sense to do one or two of those. I have the guy I've been trying to push the entire time. And it's just trying to get everyone on board. There you go. All right. The mystery man. So what's last question, advice for brands starting out with influence marketing today? This is difficult. Let's just say $10 million brand, five to $10 million range. What would you say? That's probably when you can start. I think any smaller than that really dude, even, and I've tried to explain this to more and more brands. It's like, you know, you can get to $30 million just off Facebook, like one channel. I've seen brands do $100 million just off of Facebook. It's like diversify when you really want to, when you're passionate about it, right? Like you're ready for it. So if you're a $10 million brand, yeah, maybe you can start dabbling into it. I give the same advice to everybody who always asks me for it. I'm like, find 
10 creators you personally like and reach out to them and try to structure a deal. And I'm like, you're going to lose money on all of those. Like do one, then do five, then do 10. And you have to learn the economics of it. You have to learn. Seed them your product first. Yeah, there you go. You can start there. But I'm like, I'm like, look, I'm like, if you're the CEO of a $10 million brand, you're not above going on YouTube on a creator you like and commenting, hey, I love your videos. And then right. trying to find yeah. an email, DMing them, pursuing them, be like, hey, look, I'm actually a fan. And that's the best place to start. You'll get yep. the most excited about it. And then if the person you're most excited about bombs, that's a great fucking lesson. You know what I mean? You have no idea who's going to work and who's not going to work. Yep. And that's the thing is you personally liking them is not a translator to them being a good fit. Do the work. Yeah, do the work. I love that. It's a running theme throughout this episode. It's the most human channel by far in a way. It is not a Facebook or a Klaviyo dashboard or account. You can't just click a few buttons and make things work, but it's very human, whether it be human resources or it's also you're dealing with human beings at the end of the day in terms of negotiation getting the product, identifying them, all these different things, all the ins and outs of Influencer. Yeah, look, dude. And, you know, going back to that tweet, I said, yeah, you get bad PR. Bro, we sponsored a guy who decided to crash an airplane. And like my fucking DMs were full with people who were very mad at me. And I'm like, I didn't know he was going to do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, like we sponsored a guy who made a video just fucking talking mad shit on somebody else and like my dms are full of people who are mad at me i didn't fucking know like you're gonna be put into the public conversation i think a lot of brands think they want that but like no man like maybe you don't i've had there's inherent inherent risk with all marketing right there's always risk yeah more so with influencer marketing so anyway it's like when you said it's the most human form of marketing, 100%. Because at the end of every email, there's somebody who has to accept it. You have to work with yep. them. They're putting their own personal stamp on it. Like You have to just be willing to roll with the punches. And most people aren't. Like Literally, if brands listen to this, 90% of them cannot do what we do because they'll freak out the first time they get a mean email. Awesome, man. Well, fascinating episode. I loved going back and forth, discussing influencer, especially for a tier of brand that you guys are and everybody's wanting to get to. I think that's what 100% of founders listening to this would say. And if they're going to follow your influencer blueprint, there's many steps to getting to that point and all the resources that you have involved. But yeah, you've done an amazing job building Ridge. Where can people find you? You have an awesome Twitter that's sarcastic and also puts out good content. So where can people yeah. find you? I'm an influencer myself. I got my Twitter. I got a sub stack where I just talk about whatever. All hey. unsponsored. I'm rich enough where I don't need sponsors. So there you go. So don't reach out to Sean Frank to ask to sponsor him if you're if yeah. he's one of your 10, 10 favorite creators. <laughs> That'd um, be super funny, man. If somebody that tried to that would be. Yeah. All right. Well, Sean, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. Joe, man. Talk to you later. All right. That's all for today. If you'd like some help developing your influence marketing campaign, go ahead and DM us on Twitter. Links are in the description. Or you can head to kinship.co to learn more and you can book a call there. That's K-Y-N-S-H-I-P dot C-O. At kinship.co, you also find tools, templates, and resources all designed to help you grow an influencer campaign that drives visibility and sales, not just likes. Thanks for tuning in as always, and we'll see you next week.